How's everybody doing? Beautiful night inside. Anyways, <laughs> we're getting there. Uh, Father, we just thank you for being good, for giving us your word, for explaining your word, for being our comforter, our teacher, our master, a good master. And we just pray that you would be here, settle us, open our ears, speak through and to us, and uh, just be glorified in our midst. Fix us and remind us how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians. And uh, so far, I think all of chapter one, the first week, chapter two, the second week, been tying it together. I believe the first four chapters all speak of answering questions, uh, things that have been happening. Um, we've already talked about that. This actually isn't his first letter. Um, it's the first one recorded. But there was, he mentions a letter prior. He mentions people that came to him. He mentions uh, letters he's received from them. So there's uh, correction, answering of questions. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we know that um, he's writing to believers. Obviously, he knows it's going to be read publicly. Um, so I'm sure Paul's not assuming everybody that hears it is saved. But it's generally written to the body at Corinth. He tells them that they come behind no other church in spiritual gifts. So he speaks to them as believers. But then he talks about um, divisions, right? It says in uh, chapter 1, verse 11, that it has been declared to me concerning you by those of Chloe's house that there's contentions among you. Verse 12, it says, Now this I say that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. And uh, we can kind of get that same way today just through uh, denominations, or I'm a Baptist, or I go to Calvary Chapel, or I'm of Pastor Rob, or, uh, you know, Pastor Richard obviously is the best teacher. You can, whatever you want to have come and can divide is being, uh, I didn't mean to leave you out, Dave, but, but <laughs> there's, and Paul addresses it. So th this is something that shouldn't happen. And as I've mentioned before, Paul has clearly said that he doesn't have a problem with, they don't have a problem with each other. It's just what people are doing with it. And, and he goes on in uh, chapter 2, he talks about the same thing. In chapter 3, it continues. And it also goes into chapter 4. And uh, I think I tried to specify that last time. Um, I, I'm going to do it again today. I think I'm going to hopefully um, just finish chapter 3 and 4 and we can get to a new topic. I'm getting divided over whether I should be te keep teaching on division, but <laughs> not, the, not my favorite subject, but uh, it is something that's relevant. A lot of it comes down to doctrine. Doctrine is very important. Um, people today can get divided. There's camps and you can pick a number of doctrines that people are willing to divide over and they shouldn't, if it's not an eternal 
salvation, if it's not a, a doctrine that's necessary, um, we don't necessarily have to divide over these things. You can have, should be able to have fellowship. We don't have perfect knowledge. What do we know? And I, and I think it's kind of an awesome thing that there's a lot of people. So God gives the gift of teaching, so it's not wrong to have somebody teach you or have somebody explain something. So that means that you're not, every single person isn't giving full revelation. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to need anyone to give us a teaching or a study, or God wouldn't have a gift of teaching. So we can glean and learn from other people. It's intended that way. It's how love is. This, you know, he spoke to me often, you know, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst. And I don't think that means God's not with me when I'm alone. But when two people are together and they're Christians, the world will know you are my disciples by the love you have one for another. God is love. He is that love between the two of you. That's what that means. When, when you're loving somebody, he is that expression between the two of you. When it's just you and him, he loves you, so he's always there. You can't, you can't ever get away from him. Just uh, going through that in Sunday school last Thursday, talking, saying, so where is God right now? And of course, everyone knows God's in heaven, but we were going through Psalm 139. He's actually everywhere all the time. <laughs> He's here right now. He's with you when you're alone. He's with you when you're going through a trial. He's never not with you. He can't be, if he's, if he's not somewhere, then he's not God. He's everywhere. So what, these things that come up and what is the cause of them? Obviously, we know wars and all of that, you know, because you lost and have not. Uh, but sometimes I think it's just our, our mind. We want to figure things out. And I, I have an opinion. I don't know if anybody that's ever known me has ever doubted to know that I have an opinion. I am not shy about sharing my opinion, uh, maybe too much. But an opinion is what? It's my understanding of something. And our opinion, we should have the mind of Christ. So I think when people don't fully understand something or there's something that isn't necessarily explained easily or perfectly, or it can be taken multiple ways, like prophecy, and you take it one way and somebody else sees it something different, um, people can have an opinion on it. And that's the problem that they had in this church, because not only did people have an opinion, but they were stating it was correct. And we talked about it last week um, in chapter 2, where he was emphasizing that you can have your own mind, but you can't figure things out. You can't know God unless he reveals, reveals himself to you. You can't understand fully or correctly except for revelation. And sometimes people will have an opinion and they'll share it because that's what makes the best sense to them. And people can get divided over that. And that's where we get into trouble. Um, there are many verses. It says that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth, which means if the Holy Spirit doesn't lead you, you can't know it. We're going to see that in chapter 4. Um, why do you boast as if you came up with something? If it's not from you, what do you boast about? And if it's not from God, then let it go. So chapter 2, I'll just read and come back through the end just to make sure you can see it in context because I believe it clearly speaks on division. And one of my understandings on chapter 3, which is often commonly taught, is the doctrine of the Bema Seat the temple of God. You are the temple of God, and, and we're all going to go through this thing and what's going to be left of it. And I've actually changed my 
opinion on that. Obviously, there is a BMC judgment. It talks about it later on in Corinthians even, but he doesn't bring it up twice because it's a matter of importance. I think it's speaking of something different in chapter 3 than I used to think, and I'll explain it as we go there. But to, just to get it in context, uh, I'll just read all the way through the end of chapter 4, and you can see that I believe it's talking about people being divided at the end of 2. It's talking about people to being divided in chapter 4, and, he use, and he's using chapter 3 um, as an explanation of it. And I think it's more about church building than it is in the temple there. I'll just give away everything now so you don't have to listen anymore. But <laughs> a lot of people I've listened to recently that I highly look up to and I believe they have the gift of teaching talk about the temple in reference in chapter 3 is actually talking about the church as, a, as an entity, as a whole. So, and it's talking about the building of the church. And a lot of people can read that and say, well, if you, know, you destroy the temple, God's going to destroy you. And if they think that's the Bema seat, they think they can lose their salvation and be destroyed and there's no hope for them anymore. Well, I believe that teaching is out of context. He's actually talking about the work, not the worker. And it's talking about what these false teachers are doing. And, and we'll see it when we get there. But chapter 2, if you want to start in verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So it implies that without the Spirit, you can't know them. And they're not earned, they're just freely given, but they're, they come from God. 13, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, which I can say yes, amen, but that also includes my wisdom, which is convicting. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that spiritual right there is a pneumotikos, and it's talking about, it comes back up in uh, the beginning of chapter 3. We'll read it when we get there. Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And it's not just speaking about unsaved people. It's talking about my own reasoning, too. I can't figure God out. I have to have him explain himself to me. I'm born naturally. I became spiritual, and I became born again. The potential, the natural carnal mind, it's not like I had an opinion before I was saved and now I only think godly thoughts. I still have an opinion. I have to discern the spiritual with the spiritual. I have to let God do it because I can't even do it. 14, but the natural man and these people were spiritual. They were saved. They had gifts. They were doing things. The problem was is that they didn't always just listen to God. They went by what they were thinking instead. 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. It doesn't make sense. I can't figure it out. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Verse 1, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He'd already thoroughly called them believers. 
He's calling them brethren right here in verse 1. These are saved people, but he's saying you're, you're only thinking with your natural mind, and he doesn't say that they're not saved. He said they're acting immature. They're immature Christians. They're acting as little babies. And he, even to the point where he says in verse 2, I fed you with milk. There's still milk feeding. And he doesn't, it's, if you can only, a baby, it's not wrong for a baby to, to milk feed because that's all they can handle. He's not even saying it's wrong to feed people with milk. He's saying there comes a point in time when you should be maturing, when you should be understanding. And it's not even getting older it's not an age issue, it's a, it's, a, it's a spiritual growth issue. It's what are you allowing to God to do in you instead of just trying to do it all on your own and figure it out. It's kind of crazy, but in order to get farther, you have to give up and try hard, not try as much. Either you're doing it or he's doing it. And it, sometimes it's hard to deal with my pride and to admit I can't do it and then just give up and say, okay, I can't figure this out, just show me. And how oftentimes does he then just show you? And then you can't take any credit for it until after a while we know what he said and then I forget where I got it from and I have to get corrected by God too because we're still simple. I fed you with milk, so he wasn't opposed to giving a young Christian or even an older Christian that needed milk, milk. He goes, I didn't, and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And he doesn't mean, oh, you're acting like a man. He's acting like, no, you're acting only like a human being. You're not acting like the Spirit of God would teach you. Verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, these people that you're boasting about? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. They're on the same team. They're fellowship, right? Two fellows in the same ship. Same means, same direction, same destination, but they might have two different tasks on the boat. They're going the same way. Now, he who plants and heals waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And that you there is plural. And field and building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know 
that you, again plural, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you, plural, are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So he starts out by talking in verse 4, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And he says in verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, so there's this whole thought of divisions going through it, and that picture of the temple is in between there. Not a second thought, not a different diversion, not all of a sudden I'm going to start teaching on individual things, and then he goes back to this division again. In fact, it even carries on in chapter 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So now he's talking about the people that are doing the building, the people that they're looking at as the leaders and guides, people that we're going to find out as we read through this are puffed up, think they're smarter or better than other people, and they're trying to draw or attract or they are attracted to something. And Paul just starts out right off the bat. We're on the same page, and he basically says, if you're going to think of us as anything, think of us as ministers. And that word minister is under rower, which I'm sure we're all familiar with. It's the guys in the bottom of the boat in all those old movies that were slaves, that were changed, chained, that were whipped, that were responsible just to get the boat moving, and all they were is a subordinate. Sometimes people think that, you know, I get a mic or I get a title that makes me something. Yeah, that makes you responsible to move the ship. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. God has, is not a respecter of persons, and people are called to do something, and sometimes people look up to them, and sometimes people like it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were rebuked constantly by Jesus for that very same thing. And he's like, if you're going to think anything about us, like you're going to be drawn, and, and you're going to let the aura or the specialty of a person divide you, he goes, we're nothing. Who, who are we? What are we doing? It's God who does the increase. We're just doing what we're supposed to. And, and look at us as an under rower and a steward of the mysteries of God. So first of all, the mysteries of God, right, we all know this too. We're well taught here. It's something that wasn't known before but has been revealed and is made known, which means until the Holy Spirit came, it wasn't known. So you can't, it wasn't known. You can't figure it out. But it is revealed. You can know it. And Paul and anybody that has insight or has been given something that you've been freely given is a steward of it, which means that it's not yours. It's somebody else's. Otherwise, you would be an owner of it. But you're a steward. And these people are stewards. And as he's, if we look at, and sometimes if you look up to somebody, it's dangerous because what happens when they fall? 
And, and Satan knows that people are respecters of persons. And if I can take out a person, I can stumble a whole lot of people. And sometimes we give people more credit than we should. Um, and it's not good for us to do that. And it's not good for them to do that to them. We're all equal in Christ. Let a man so consider us as slaves being whipped with a mission to move something forward of Christ and stewards having ownership of something that's not ours, can't take credit for it, but responsible for it, of God. Two, moreover, it is required, anybody that's called to ministry, which is each of us, that word required kind of stings, <laughs> but it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You're not going to put somebody in charge of things that are yours if you can't trust them. That's why Paul says, don't lay hands on any man too soon, because they can be tripped up. Go back to Joseph, right? He was entrusted in jail as well as in um, Potiphar's house, the the people that trusted in, because he just proved himself faithful. We're supposed to be full of faith, faithful people, full of faith, and people should be able to trust us. It's kind of what we talked about in Sunday school this morning, is uh, looking at making oaths, not making oaths. Jesus said, you know, not to, and also not to lie. And I ended up going back, I, in my own reading, I'm just going through uh, Jacob and Esau going through and making the stew and making a promise and then lying about who he is and all of that. And what, why, would, why, why is lying bad? First of all, any time you do a sin, it's against God. It's against his character. But if I can be found a liar or if I can be found unfaithful, then why would anyone believe me? And we're supposed to tell people the gospel. That's the, mo that's the most important message and the most important thing that we have. And if people can't trust you, then how can they trust you that what you're saying is true? And we have what they need by God. So we need to be faithful in it because we don't want to taint the free thing that was given to us shouldn't be tainted as it goes through. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one praise will come from God. People were looking for praise. People were being tainted, and he said, you know what, there's somebody watching. Talking about that lately too, right? As we probably all know the saying, the apple, you're the apple of your parents' eye, you're the apple of your dad's eye, you're the apple of God's eye, the apple of the eye, right? It means that he's never not looking at you. He's staring at you, he can't take his eyes off you. That's if you're a believer. If you're an unbeliever, you're like, man, God's watching. <laughs> It brings uncomfort to a believer. The exact same truth brings, you know, God's going to come back and judge as a Christian. We're like, yes, as an unbeliever, you're like, no. The same truth. It's kind of not, 
wasn't going to go there, but the same judgment, fire, right? If God judges everything with fire, let's just say everything in the whole world was laid out right there, and God judges everything with fire, what's going to be left? An unbeliever, there's nothing left. The eternal lake of fire. The believer, the only thing that's going to be left are the things that God did. We could, we could go through the same judgment as them and still come out and they won't. God judges. He tests things that, of what is of him or not. It's going to be at a different place. We read about them, but it's, God's, it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of an angry God if you're a holy God, if you're an unbeliever. I'm looking forward to it. To us, it's freeing. All those things that would embarrass me are going to be gone. All those things that are going to bring shame to me are going to be gone. All those things that inhibit my praise to him are going to be gone. It's going to be freeing. I can't wait. We don't know what's going to be left, but who cares? Whatever's left is great. <laughs> bring it. Soon, Lord. Verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring, who both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel's of the heart, or the motives of the heart, or the reasons why you're doing what you do, then each one's praise will come from God. Six, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. So he's still talking about the division and how they're being separated. Why? That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. There's a memory verse for you. Learn to not think beyond what is written. What is written? I don't know. Well, then read it. <laughs> Learn not to think beyond what is written. Why? That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one another, one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you, did not, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So there's a clue we have about the divisions. They're boasting about what they had, as if they didn't receive it. Look what I came up with. Look what I thought of. Or if somebody doesn't disagree with you, if somebody disagrees with you, that we get, I get, we can have heated discussions in here and sometimes you'll say something of a doctrine or something that you believe and people disagree with you and sometimes it can bother you. Why does it bother me? If it's not for me, if it's what God said, then they're not agreeing with God and I should be praying for them or helping them. Instead, it's like, hey, I thought of that or that's my thing and well, that's why it bothers me. It shouldn't bother me because maybe it's not from God. Maybe it is me then, right? What You boast as if you didn't receive it. Then he goes on and he criticizes them. You are already full. They're full of themselves. They're full of their own knowledge. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign. So obviously he said, you reign as kings. Then he says, I wish you did reign. So they actually don't reign. They just, that's how they think of themselves. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Paul is like, I wish I had it as good as you think you have it. I wish I was as smart as you think that you are. I wish I had as many followers or people exhorting me or encouraging me as you did. Nine, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. 
For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Heaven's watching. And I think that's the key, why Paul was able to be in the place that he was, because he wasn't just full of himself. He wasn't just thinking he's smarter than everyone else. He didn't just have more things to say than anyone else. He wasn't a better speaker than anyone else. But he stood in the presence of God, humbly, intimidated by that, received from him, and just simply said what God said. And people didn't always like it, and he bore the consequences of it, and he, he sang in jail for joy. Because <laughs> he knew it was from God, and he was just glad that he was able to be faithful. And if, and if they beat his Savior, then if they beat the prophets, if they killed everyone else, and they're treating me that same way, what Jesus said in Matthew 5, that you will be truly blessed when they persecute you and revile you is true. I believe it, Paul said. I believe what Jesus said. My whole life isn't about getting away from that or getting out of that. I just want to make sure that I'm finally doing the right thing because of who I was before I was saved and all the pain that I caused my Lord and Savior and, and the, the things I brought upon myself. I'm doing something right now, and it didn't matter how comfortable it was. I just want to be faithful. These people were not there. They didn't have the audience of heaven. They sat there. They got saved. They used spiritual gifts for their own acknowledgement. They boasted in it. And Paul said that you're acting like a little baby in Christ. It's not about gifts. It's not about what you do. It's about who you worship and about whose presence that you're in. Where are you getting your acclimates from, people or God? Verse 10, Paul says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. Obviously, he's more... I don't know if it's sarcastic, but it might be. But it's skeptical. He's, he's making a difference. He's not saying that they are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Or it could be said as a question. This is why text is so dangerous. I wish I could just hear Paul say this. You can't hear the fluctuation of his voice. He probably said it more like, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we're dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. And you would think that he would be saying that's a shameful thing for them. He wore it as a badge. He understood that's what Christ went through. He understood that's what faithfulness looked like. Because in 14 he says, I don't write things to shame you. Well, he you'd think he would be saying, I'm not saying that because I'm ashamed of what we did. He's basically saying, you guys don't do this. You should be ashamed. Shame on you for not taking up the cross, doing what you're supposed to do, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to take God's glory in your own hands, living like kings, thinking that you're something. Because I'm not trying to just shame you, although that was a shameful thing, evidently. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. But as my beloved children, I warn you, you need to be careful. What are you looking to get out of life? Why are you here? Who's your audience? Who are you doing it in front of? What are you doing it for? And I think 15 is the heart of God. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. 
Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Okay, Paul. If I didn't read 12 and 13, I might want to imitate you more. (laughs) That seems very hard. That's normal Christianity, and it's not that you go looking for it, and I'm not trying to get persecuted. I'm just trying to live for Christ, and if persecution comes, then don't let it stumble you. If acclimates come, be careful. That's the odd thing. Imitate me, and again, it seems peculiar to me. The problem was they had people there that they were being divided over. The problem was is that there were instructors in Christ. Paul's like, you need, you need to have a dad. You need to have an example. Who did Jesus leave us as an example? The Holy Spirit, exact same as him. So when you're filled and being walking with the Holy Spirit, and it's not necessarily about the gifts or the things that he did, it's both that and the heart, the, the nature and character, the fruit of the Spirit, not just the power and the gifts of the Spirit. But they were looking at different people and looking at the people. So Paul says, I know, I know how to fix this division. I'll send another person. <laughs> but I'm going to send someone just like me. 17, for this reason, I have sent Timothy to you. Why would I send another person when you're already being divided over people? Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church? So the people there were following. It's a, Paul told them they came behind to know their church and spiritual gifts. There were people there doing things that were flashy, that were drawing attention. You can go to a lot of churches right now where there's a lot of hype. And you know we would think that it's carnal because that's what Paul calls it in the book of Corinthians. They're doing something to draw attention. And it's not about getting attention. It's a, Paul is like, don't follow the gift. You need to follow somebody that will show you my heart, who will remind you of my ways. It's about how you live. And really, if you're going to, you should find someone to disciple and find someone to be discipled by. Everyone should have both. And if you're going to find someone to be discipled by, don't just look at the flashy things or the gifts that they might have, but how are they walking? How do they live their life? Who follow, what are the ways that they're living in? Paul sent Timothy to remind the people in Corinth of the way in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. However, 18, now some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Some people were thinking big. Some people didn't take this very well. And they were arrogant. Some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you which is kind of funny, because if they were arrogant, you'd think they wouldn't care if Paul was coming. Maybe they read the book of Acts. He, he, uh, he cast blindness on somebody. <laughs> that would scare me. <laughs> he cast out demons from people that when other people tried it, they were bloody, naked, and ran. <laughs> Paul wasn't, it was only because, again, of the Spirit of God on him. It wasn't because he was this great anything. Verse 19 says, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. We'll see who they really are in Christ. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. 
What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So that was a mouthful. That's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Kind of sum it up. It's always safer just to read. God's really smart. He put it down very specifically. I think it all ties together. I think this is the, all speaking of division, he's talking about the people that are being put up ahead and why. Why is that happening? Um, and again, the verse four verses of chapter three, I think, explain it. And I, brethren, could not speak to you, which he wanted to, as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, so Paul didn't give up on him. He didn't just throw up his hands and walk away. He didn't say, don't you get it? And people were sitting there trying to prove how spiritual they were. They spoke in tongues. Paul spoke in tongues more than all of them were going to find out. Yeah, and he never did it publicly. I'm not going to sit there and make a show of myself. You think that you're spiritual because you're doing things like that. He goes, where's the love? You're fighting with each other, and you're being divided over teachers, and you're sitting there telling me how spiritual because you can use spiritual gifts. He didn't give up on him. He fed him milk. He's like, let's get, let's get in the word. I'll show you simply. And sometimes you might have something fairly deep that you understand in the word, but people aren't able to receive it. And you can't, how far can you go with them? Just give them the milk. I know Pastor Rob has a, I remember every Sunday morning, he's pastors, elders, and unsaved, and everywhere in between in here. What, what do you do? You, you can teach in a way that everyone gets something out of it. People, new people need the milk, the milk of the word. Jesus loves me, this I know. And that can be one of the most profound things you'll ever hear at the same time. The same message, the same spirit, speaking to each person, rightly dividing the word of truth in their own hearts. Paul fed them. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my flock. Take care of my people. Feed them. Give them the milk. He desired to give them solid food. For until now, they were not able to receive it. Even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. And again, carnal doesn't mean unsaved. You can be a saved person, but not growing, not in the word, not praying, figuring things out. 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 clearly tell you it's impossible to figure it out. Everyone has an opinion. I have an opinion. I don't even want to know my own opinion. You get to a point where finally you're like, Lord, just talk, just speak, just show me. Because if you don't, and now I want discernment, because when you're hearing things, especially from other Christians, is that their opinion or was that the Spirit of God talking through them? So now I need to have discernment. What am I hearing? And that's a challenge. That's why some people are, you know, women are just supposed to obey their husbands. Well, would you rather... What's harder, hearing what your husband says and you're honoring God by doing what he said even though he's a, a baboon or trying to get before the Lord, hearing what he says and being responsible for leading your family? I don't, sometimes it's easier. It's, neither's, neither's easy. It's not easy following a baboon and it's not always easy hearing the voice of God. But we're all called to walk by faith. Everyone has an opinion. You are still carnal, for when, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you, I don't have to try to guess if you're, you're, you're showing me by your behavior. You're behaving 
just like a natural man would behave. And, and we're going to find out as we go through the letter, they're taking each other to court. They're having sexual immorality in the body. They're, 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 they're striving. There's all kinds of things going wrong. They're going to the communion table and they're picking out before anyone else can eat. And, and they're sitting there afterwards going to the prayer meeting and everybody is speaking in tongues at the same time and throwing out a prophecy and they're all doing all of that. They're not unsaved people and they're not ungifted people but they're using those things because it tells us which, if we ever get there, hopefully the Lord comes back before we get to 1 Corinthians 15 but, um, or 14, but the, 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 the gift of the, is, is under the use of the user. So God doesn't force you to do something. It's not like I had to prophesy. I didn't want to. Sometimes you might not realize you're doing it. You don't even have to be saved to have a gift. Right? Did we not prophesy, do all these things in thy name, he says, I never knew you. The high priest it said, said, it is expedient that one man to die instead of the whole country. And it said he prophesied being the high priest. So he, he prophesied. God says he prophesied. He wasn't even saved. In fact, he wanted to kill God. Most saved people don't try to kill God. Usually. <laughs> They're still carnal, acting like mere men. And then it goes on uh, in verse 5, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, who is Mark, who are you, but ministers, servants, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. It's not about me, Jesus. It's all about you. I planted, planting's important, Apollos watered, watering's important, if you're just using your natural brain and you understand certain things and I'm going out doing things for God, I get my brothers here that we used to go out and street witness all the time and people that aren't necessarily, so we're all called to evangelize, but there's a gift of evangelism. So there's specific gifts like faith. We all have to have faith, but there's a gift of faith. So you go out and evangelize, but not everyone is called to that. And, uh, some people, we're all called to have a, a defense for the hope that lies within you, but we're not all called to go out and be offensive, just defensive. Some of us are offensive. <laughs> and uh, we would go out, and there were people that would come and give all kinds, save people that we love, that went here, and they would tell us things. We had one time, we had somebody tell us, you know, you shouldn't pray with unbelievers. Well, if they don't pray, how can they get saved? <laughs> Well-intentioned, good person. Well, God doesn't hear them because they're not saved. You shouldn't tell people God loves them because they're in sin. I mean, he had all kinds of advice. And it's like, I'll, I'll evangelize. You do what you do. <laughs> I don't need... It's crazy, the stuff that can, that can come up. But Paul planted. He could have looked at Apollos watering, saying, what are you doing? Why are you watering? you got to plant. Well, no, planting's important and watering's important. Just because you have a different gift or a different ministry or do something different than someone else doesn't mean you're right and they're wrong or vice versa. Let, let God lead you, walk in what he's showing you, and be faithful to what he's told you to do. And it might look different. You might, and I know a guy from another church. We were going out street witnessing with a, a guy I worked with from another church, and he had a heart for this homeless guy. And he 
witness to him and witness to him and witness to him and finally got the guy to come to church. And the guy comes to church and he was menacing, supposedly, whether he did or not, I don't know, um, some of the women that were there. And the leadership told him he had to go. And the guy that brought him came to me and said, I have a problem with that. And I'm like, well, I don't. He, maybe he needed to come there to know that he has a problem with women. And he to, maybe he needed to be there for, to hear that. That you, you might both be right. It doesn't, just because you didn't react the same way doesn't mean it, it's not the Lord doing something. Sometimes you need to be in a place where you can hear God speak to you. Neither he who plants is anything or he who waters. It's God who gives the increase. Now, verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. Same spirit. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So the rewards here are not about being saved. It's about labor. We're called to work. Ministry is hard if you're doing it correctly. It's, it's time-consuming. It's never convenient. I remember Pastor Dave talking about that. Christianity is never convenient. <laughs> it's not convenient to have people not like you or to get out of your comfort zone. It's a blessing. It doesn't mean it's horrible. I mean, we love what we do. You should love what you do, whatever God's called you to, but it's not convenient. I remember years going into jail on whatever night. For one time we were on Mondays, one time it was on Tuesdays, and every Monday there's always something else I would rather be doing, and I'm thinking... I'm going to go because I'm called to it. And I almost frequently had other things I could have done and didn't want to go. And on the way home, I was always glad that I went. I never regretted thinking, what did I do that for? I'm thinking, man, I can't believe I almost didn't go. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a blessing, but it's not, there, something else can come up. Just like people say, I don't have the time to pray. Well, you have time. What are you going to do with it? It's not about whether it's convenient or not. The Bible says to redeem the time. We all have the same amount of time. We will receive a reward, and this is about rewards, it's not about salvation. We will receive rewards according to our labor. And then it's plural, nine, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, Agricultural, you are God's building. Now it's talking about industrial. He uses these two different examples for the church. According to the grace of God which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So now he's talking about the building, an act of building up a body or a church. And he says, take heed how he builds on it. Talks about this foundation. Sunday school kids should know this, right? Jesus is the rock. He is our firm foundation. He's what we build upon. He is the basis. 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So if everyone is watering and planting. It's a picture of agricultural. Now he switches to this industrial picture that we're a building, the temple. The inner, it's actually, when he talks about the temple here, he's talking about the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary. <clears throat> if anyone builds on this foundation, when we know now we're building on the foundation of Christ, 
with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So if there's a foundation, he's talking, I believe, about the church, and there's different metals that you can build with, and I just have this picture in my head. I'll just read it. And I don't even think I'll have to tell you where I am. You'll figure it out. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, also there's no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Talking about the church, talking about this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And then if you skip down, obviously this is Revelation 21. It says in verse 18, I'll skip a little bit here because of time. Uh, the construction of its walls was of jasper and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall, what were built upon, the church, of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I'm not a jeweler, obviously, I can't even pronounce these things. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each individual gate was one pearl and the streets of the city was pure gold like transparent glass but I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple the city had no need of the sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of the Lord illuminated it the Lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it its gates shall not be shut at all by day, there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I really only had one verse there, but I just like reading the whole thing because I like that portion. <laughs> Hallelujah. So it's talking about the city coming down, and it's talking about its precious metals and jewels that are the foundation and it says this is the bride of christ it tells us in corinthians that we have this foundation and if we build on it i believe talking about the church and it talks about these different things and in heaven in revelation 21 we saw there was no wood hair straw because everything that we do that's of our flesh the carnal man in us we can sit there and be critical of these corinthians but what was me Right, that carnal side of me, the thing is going to be gone. It's going to be burnt. We're not going to have to sit there up in, in heaven with this foundation and have the wind blow and thinking, uh-oh, I wonder if somebody's hay got in the foundation and we're going to blow over. It's going to be gone. It's going to be pure. It's going to be perfect. And it says in 13, each one's work will become clear. For the, so I think this is talking about the people building what are, we, what are we putting into other people's lives? What are we investing into other people? What things are going to be lasting? Is it something that's going to stand? Do we just want to make people feel better? I know I want to. The carnal side of me, I want people to like me. I want people to like what I say. 
but is, sometimes the truth stings a little bit. We need to tell them thing. We have a good friend. She was actually here yesterday. She's probably going to be going home soon, leaving her kids. And uh, what do you say to her? Things are going to get better. Not until you get home, but things are going to get better. Tell her the truth. For 13, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. This does not say this is going to test your salvation. It says it's going to test your work. This is all about your work being tested. This is about is the, the things in the building, the things of the foundation, the things that are in the church, are they going to remain and last and stand? We know there is going to be, and it's a good spot to talk about that. Every individual is going to stand before God. It is appointed for man once to die, then judgment. We're all going to be judged. I still can't understand. I can. I have a long list. I could start that sentence and have pages to go through. There's a lot of things I don't get yet. Um, uh, I don't know how our nations are judged. Individuals are judged. If a nation is being judged, is it a nation of everyone in that nation at that time? Does it go for the nation for all the years they've been a nation? It's really confusing to me, but we know the nations are judged. There's a judgment coming. And I know that each individual is going to have to stand before God. And it's going to be works-oriented. I, I still struggle. In Revelation it says, and he will wipe away every tear. And some people are going to be like, yeah, after you know, I found out what I could have done. Or the sins, you know, when I found out what my life could have been. Or if I saw all my rewards going away. Well, to me, unfaith, sin... If anything is not of faith, it's sin. I know that because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> anything that is not of faith is sin. So the sin of omission is the same thing as the sin of commission. They're both sin. I don't know if I'm going to be crying because I'm going to be sitting there because my sin's already been paid for. This is a reward ceremony. So to even say I'm going to be crying over the reward I lost, it's still going to be a reminder of sin. It's going to be gone this is, I believe, talking about, because it says here, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. So now it's, it's now talking about our ability to worship God forever in heaven. And I still remember, oh man, it's probably 20 years ago now. I remember Dan Crespo, when, before he went to Puerto Rico, I think, was here teaching and uh, he kind of likened it to your kids watching, like young kids, watching a video. So he likened heaven to that. If you don't have much, a, a, a four or five or six-year-old can watch the same movie over and over and over and over, and it'll drive you nuts. And you can memorize it in your sleep, not even wanting to. You wake up, the thing going through your head... But they're content with that. If you don't have much, you're going to be content with whatever you have. Where if you are able to do more, you're going to want more. And he talks about he talked about being in heaven, and that's the only way. If a doctrine that you have contradicts a different scripture, then either your understanding of it is wrong, or you just haven't figured out how it works together. So I have a lot of things that this makes the most sense. And I'm sticking with that until God shows me more. We need revelation. Um, that's why 
we can get argumentative because we don't even have all the pieces. And if you're content and God showed you and you feel that you have a good doctrine and somebody doesn't agree with you, your whole heart should just want to be to help them or to be patient. And sometimes God will not even, this isn't the time, they're not going to be able to receive it. All you're going to do is start a fight. Let it go. It doesn't matter. It's not that important. Their soul is more important. Just like if they're doing something that they, it's going to tell us that in Corinthians later. Right? If they're doing something that they think is sin, well, I can't do that, I'm not allowed to. You're like, no, no, actually, you do have liberty to do that. But they don't get it. If you talk them into doing it anyways, and they think that they're sinning against God in their heart, the intent of the thought, we, they just sinned against God because they were trusting you, not what they believe God showed them. So you don't need to tell somebody it's okay to do something that they can't. We, multiple times, at the last time I taught at the senior study, we talked about eternal security. Sometimes people think, well, you know, you can lose your salvation. Other people say, well, you can't lose your salvation. And to the point I got to, I have a doctrine and I'm comfortable with it. But if somebody is sitting there and they think that they were saved and that you can't regain it, well, then you're telling them basically you have no hope. You might as well give up. Well, why would they live that way then? Well, were they ever saved? I don't know. So if you're not sure, get saved. Why do you need to know if they were saved or not? I can't tell if anybody's saved other than myself. If God sheds his love abroad in my heart, I can know I'm saved. God hasn't given me the ability to know if anyone else is saved other than I know all the apostles were saved except for Judas. I know Judas wasn't saved because the Bible tells me so. Well, it says he's a son of perdition. Yeah, but Jesus also said, none will be lost but him. So we know all the, the other 11 were. So they're, they're, if God doesn't tell you, you can't know. You can, you can judge how they act, which is what we're called to do, which is what they're doing in the, in the book of Corinth, what Paul is telling them to do. But if somebody's like, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not, it's not my job to say, well, were you ever saved? Well, then don't worry about it. Well, what if they were never saved? Then I'm telling them they don't need to get saved. I wouldn't want, why would you want to do that? Just, if you're not sure if you're saved, then get saved. It's that simple. The doctrine isn't really important right now anyways. If they were saved already, they just need to be encouraged to repent. If they were never saved, they need to get saved. So if, if people are saved, they need more of Jesus. If they're not saved, they need Jesus. So it doesn't matter. Just give them Jesus. He's the answer, always. And whether they could lose it or not, that's a good discussion maybe if you want to dig into the word. It's, I entertain that. I have an opinion on doctrine, but it's really not important to the persons that's standing before you. Why would you ask that question? That's the first thing you should ask. You think you can lose your salvation? Why are you concerned about that? Are you saved? Are you, are you worried about someone else? You, you can't tell if they were ever saved or not. Don't, you can think too much. Carnal mind, we all have an opinion. What does the Word of God say? What is your understanding of the Word of God? And just give them Jesus. If anyone's work is burned, verse 15, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. They had enough saving faith to be saved. I think, again, he's talking about builders, because in 17 it says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, which I believe he's talking about the church, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He's talking about the building. No, let no one build. His, his work will be tested how you're working. If somebody brings in something and it's not good for the, the church and he starts a whole 
Bible study and all of these people follow it, it's not going to last. It's going to be gone. It doesn't, Jesus is the only foundation that's not going to fall. The only thing that they're going to be building on. And some of them can last a long time. There's a lot of cults out there right now that have been going for a long time and they're built on something, on a false Jesus that's not there. And when the judgment comes, it's going to burn up. And they're going to be in trouble because they're giving people a false hope, just like Jesus had harsh words for people teaching spiritually the wrong thing, more so than he did for Roman emperors. The government that were even killing Christians, he had more trouble with the people that were teaching spiritual things, claiming it was from God and it was wrong. They're going to be in trouble. So 18, let no one deceive himself, which means that you can deceive yourself. Lord, where am I at? Why do I care? Why do I want to win this discussion? Why do I need to feel that I'm right? Is this really edifying the church? Is it helping somebody? Or am I just trying to, am I puffed up? Am I arrogant? And I just don't want to be, I don't like the fact that somebody told me I was wrong. I feel bad for you if you struggle with that as much as I do. <laughs> Therefore, 21, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. So I think I covered three and four. I it up in pieces, but just to try to get a point that God is on a mission. We're either on in the boat with him going the same direction or we're doing something else. We need to be co-laborers. It's not about bringing glory to ourselves. It's not about being correct all the time. It's about being humble. And the biggest thing is just to be in the presence of angels and of God and to realize, practice his presence. He's there. That's why the, it says, pray without ceasing. That just means always be aware that he's there. Always be open to hearing from him, whether it's audibly or whether it's in your heart from his spirit or whether a scripture comes to you or whether it's even through another person that might even not even be a believer. I've been rebuked by God through a non-believer before. I think I told you that story one time. I was at a place playing basketball where I wasn't supposed to be. He told me not to go, but was that really God? Did I really hear that? Why would God tell me that? And how could he tell me that? That must have been my flesh. Blah, blah, blah. Years later, I ended up going to a place, and this kid got mad at me, turned around, threw the ball, hit me right in the face. And I'm thinking, I'm older than you. I'm bigger than you. What are you doing? Because he was frustrated. And I just heard God's voice saying, I told you not even to come. Now what are you going to do? You're going to get mad at him for doing something I told you not to do? So he used this kid to rebuke me, and I'm just like, I'm sorry. I had to turn around and walk out of the gym. <laughs> Got to go. Because I'm not scared of you, but God's upset with me. <laughs> and I don't want to have him use you to put a whooping on me. <laughs> so be busy building. It's hard work hard, but it's worth it. Christianity is hard, but it's worth it. And there's a reward, and there's going to be a ceremony, and we want to what we, our work to endure. You don't want to go through this for nothing. 
It's too much. It's too much for nothing. Paul says, if it's not true, we should be the most pitiable of all people. Why? Why would we be pitied? Because it's not a walk in the park. So, Father, I just thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that you can teach, that you don't cause us to depend just on our own wisdom. Lord, we know that you don't want us to walk around aimlessly. We still have to decide what clothes to put on. We have things to reason through. You did give us a brain and intelligence, Lord, but you tell us that we are to be stewards of the mystery of God, that only your spirit can teach us the things that we declare come from you. So help us to not get comfortable with our carnal side of life living and transfer that somehow into our spiritual life and not think twice about it. You said that you would not leave us comfortless, Lord, that you would send another one just like you, and that he would lead us and guide us into all truth. Lord, we believe you. We believe you have. We believe you did. And we know he's willing. Our flesh is weak, Lord, but he's willing. Help us to yield more to you, more of you and less of me. Cause us to think about your constantly looking at us all day that we might just want to please you. A good dad. Send help, please. In Jesus' name, amen.